Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Don't forget to call your mom later. Um, if you are here, it's your first time. We appreciate you coming to check us out. We are coming down the home stretch of this series that we've been calling Decisions, Decisions, and kind of let me explain to you what we're doing here. So scripture has a lot to say about wisdom, a lot about making wise choices in our lives. And one of the things that I've always sort of said about a wise person is that a wise person understands that all of life is connected, okay? They don't operate inside of a vacuum. And so what they do and what they say really does impact who and where you'll be tomorrow. In other words, our life as we know it really is the sum total of all the decisions that we've ever made, which means our decisions matter, okay? What we do, say, think, act, all of that has an impact on the direction and the quality of our lives. And so in this series, we've been taking a look at four specific decisions, very specific decisions that I think every single one of us will encounter in our lives, sometimes over and over and over again. We're putting these decisions under a microscope, examining them. We're finding out what scripture has to say about it. And then ultimately, we are left with the decision. What are you going to choose to do? So one day, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he makes him a promise. Now, before I put the promise on the screen, I just want to let you know that this is not what I would call a good promise. Jesus has a lot of good promises. This wouldn't fall into that category. So he looks at the 12, and he goes, okay, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm going to sugarcoat it, he would say. While you're a human being living on this earth, you will have trouble. There will be pain. Now, what I would add to what Jesus is saying here is that, yes, you will have trouble, and a lot of times it's not your fault. Okay, uh, somebody rear-ends you on 95. It happens almost hourly. Uh, your company downsizes, and now you're forced to look for a new job. Somebody that you love betrays you. Okay? In this life, you will have trouble. You will experience pain that is beyond your control. That being said, I would also argue that there is some pain that is within your control. In other words, sometimes you do get to choose your pain couple of examples. Let, let's talk about kids for a second. It's Mother's Day, so kids in the room, if you're here, you have a choice, okay? You have the choice to obey your parents. You can, you can choose to listen to them, to abide by their rules, to do what they say. You can choose to obey your parents, or you can face the consequences. Choice is yours. You can choose to obey them, and I understand that, that that's not fun all the time, so you could choose to do that, or you can choose the pain of the consequences that follow. Now, I was a very obedient child, okay? Now, my wife tends to think that's because I just kind of naturally obedient person. Uh, maybe, m maybe. Or maybe it's the fact that my dad would tell me that if I ever acted up, life as you know it will end. Now, I never kind of knew what that meant, and to this day, I gotta be honest with you, I'm still not really sure what that meant, but I, like, I knew that I never wanted to find out. <laughs> so I obeyed. Very easy decision on my half, right? I'm going to choose obeying versus the pain of this psychological warfare. Here's another choice, okay? You can choose the pain of living within your means or the pain of crippling debt. Choice is yours. You can, you can, you can exercise restraint with your finances. You can say no to some of those nice dinners. You can put off that one vacation or you can live above your means. And you could face the pain of crippling debt. You, you can be a slave to the debtor, as Jesus would say. The, the, the choice is yours. One last one. Let's go back to the students for a second. You guys can choose the pain of studying or the pain of failing. 
You, you could choose to skip that party on Friday night to study because you've got a big final coming up on Monday. You could choose the pain of missing out on all that fun, the pain of having your friends saying it was the best party ever, right? Side note, it was not the best party ever. You could choose the pain of studying or the pain of failing. Or if not failing, just the pain of not doing as well as you know that you can do. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the decision that every single one of us has to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. What would it look like in our lives to choose the pain of discipline, because let's be honest, discipline is not fun, to choose discipline over regret. Now, the reason I want to have this conversation, because we're all friends here and we can be honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us, or really most of us, want the product of discipline without the pain of discipline. Isn't that true? I mean, we, we want the rewards, but we don't want to really do the work to get the rewards. Like, we want to be physically healthy. We want to lose weight, but we don't want to give up the junk food, and we certainly don't want to go to the gym. Maybe more spiritually, we want to, we want to pray more. Oh, I wish I could pray more. But we also don't want to put TikTok away, all right? We don't want to stop looking at our phones to make that happen. So what would it look like for us, just this church, to choose the pain of discipline, whatever that looks like, rather than choosing the pain of regret? Let's kind of kick off by getting a working definition of discipline, because we're going to use that a lot today. I would say that discipline really is the choice between what you want now and what you want most. There's a massive tension that exists between the, the, this what you want now and what you want most. There, and we have a choice as to how to fill the gap between these two things. We can, we can fill it with discipline, we can fill it with self-control, or we can fill it with regret. Now Paul, this guy who wrote over half the New Testament, has a ton to say about the tension that exists between what we want now and what we want most. And what I love about Paul is that he does not pretend to be a super Christian. I mean, I would argue he is, but he doesn't pretend to be one. Right? He doesn't pretend that he's got it all figured out. And what I want to show you is, is how he really makes it seem how difficult it is, really, to choose to do the right thing, how difficult it is to choose what you want most over what you want now. Take a look at what he says to the letter to the Romans. Paul says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. That's what I want most. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody relate so far? You know, I, I told myself that I wasn't going to have that cake. Why did I have that cake? I told myself I wasn't going to drink tonight, and now I can't find my phone anywhere. Paul goes on. I want, <laughs> looks like you guys are having that conversation a lot. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now watch regret make its debut appearance. He says, what a terrible failure. Does that sound like your inner monologue sometimes? As you contemplate the choices you've made on a Saturday night? Does it sound like your inner monologue as you, as you sort of stand on the scale and, and thinking about that ice cream that you said you weren't going to have? Does it sound like your inner monologue when you look at your bank account when compared to your credit card statement at the end of the month? So the, the, the truth is we, we all kind of sound like broken records, like Paul says. We want to do the right thing, and yet we end up doing the wrong thing. We, want, we, we, we know what we want most, and yet we often choose what we want now, and we are left with regret. Paul asks, almost kind of throwing his hands up, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He's like, I'm, all, I'm often ashamed. I, I feel so down on myself. I feel embarrassed. I'm mad at myself all of the time. 
Like, you'd think by now, he would say, I, like, I could get this right. But I can't get it right. Who will free me from this mess? And then his tone changes. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's like, I, I'm not a lost cause because I'm not the answer. The answer is not in me being better. The answer is not in me being stronger. The answer is in Jesus Christ. That's what today is all about. It's all about recognizing that we on our own are prone to making wrong decisions. But with the help of Jesus, he can enable us to choose not what we want now, but rather what we want most. Why? Well, Scripture says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. See, the power to exercise discipline and self-control isn't something that we self-manufacture, even though it's called self-control. Rather, it is something that we rely on the Holy Spirit to provide in our lives. And with the help of Jesus, I firmly believe we can choose discipline over regret. Now, I want to let Paul take us on a journey as to kind of how to do this, because it's interesting to watch his growth as he learns how to tap into the power of Jesus in order to live a more disciplined life. In a letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about self-discipline, and he says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, except in my generation when they started handing out participation trophies. So that was the beginning of the end. But Paul, Paul is speaking to a world before millennials, and so he's like, everyone runs, okay, but only one person can win, so run to win. Now let's pause. Why is he talking about running and prizes and all this kind of stuff? What is going on here with this analogy? Well, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and in Corinth, they would host what were called the Isthmian Games. It's like ancient Olympics. It was a huge deal every two years. And so Paul is making a touch point with his audience. He's creating a connection. He's using imagery that they would be able to understand. And so he's like, okay, those Isthmian athletes that you all know so well and you root for and you go to the games and it's a huge deal in your city, they don't run for second place. They run with total focus, incredible intensity. They muster all the strength that they have. They are running to win. He continues. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training because if you're going to win, you got to be disciplined. You got to choose what you want most over what you want now. And what those athletes wanted most was victory. They wanted first place. What they want now could be more sleep, could be junk food, but they got to choose what they want most over what they want now if they're going to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. So in the modern Olympics, when you take first place, you get a gold medal, right? When you win the Super Bowl, you get a ring. When the Isthmian athletes took first place, they won a crown made of celery, literally, celery. It later became pine needles, improvement, okay? So Paul's like, I just want you to think about these athletes for a second. I want you to think about how disciplined they were just to win a crown made of produce that would fade away. It would literally die. His point is that if these athletes live a disciplined life for a crown of celery, what do we do? As, as followers of Christ, what do we live these disciplined lives for? We do it, he would say, for an eternal prize. That's why we as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, that's why we run to win. 
We do it for an eternal prize. We do it in order to honor and glorify the one who gave his life for us. And leaning into this same idea, Paul would later say, whatever you do, okay, whatever that looks like in your life, do it with all your heart, do it for the Lord, not for men. There's spiritual motivation to living a uh, disciplined life, Paul would say. That gives you, whatever you're doing, motivation. It gives you greater purpose. And like we said in week one, purpose pushes you through the pain. It pushes you through the pain of discipline and helps you to run to win. As I read it, I think Paul is saying to Christians, guys, don't settle for less than the best. Uh, whatever, whatever you do, do with all your heart. Do for the Lord, whether it's your marriage or it's your job, it's your health or your, or your relationship with God. Do not settle for less than the best. Jesus came to give you life and life to the fullest, so run to win. So let's talk about what this would look like to practically apply it to our lives, these principles that Paul is talking about here. So let me kind of start by asking you a question, just to kind of prime the pump. What do you want most in life? Now, those athletes, they wanted number one. They wanted first place. That's what they wanted most. Now, when you examine your life, and where you are today, and where you'd like to be tomorrow, what do you really want most? Some of you might say, I, I want to get closer to God. I, I want my relationship with Jesus to be stronger. That's, that's really what I want most. Others might say, I got to get my health in check. Maybe you might say, I really want to, I got to lose 20 pounds. I need to quit smoking. I want to get out of debt. I want a stronger marriage. I'm just tired of average or bad. I really want something more for my relationship. What do you want now, a lot of us, I think, would be tempted to say, well, I need to change a lot of things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things in my life that, that could use work, so I don't really even know where to start with this kind of a question. We all have a lot to work on. So start with one thing. And what happens is that you'll start finding victory in one area of your life, and it becomes easier with the power of God to find victory in other areas. So take your time, pray about it. You don't need to answer this today. Write it down and really decide. What is that one thing that you really want most in your life? Now, once you've identified that one thing, that thing that you want most, the next question is, what do you need to do now to achieve or to experience what you want most? Paul chose those athletes for a reason. Okay? That, wasn't, that wasn't just a throwaway analogy. He chose it for a reason. It was widely known that to achieve what they wanted most, first place, they would have to enter into this very intensive 10-month training program. History tells us they would go on a strict diet. They would consume no alcohol during these 10 months. They would expose themselves to uh, extreme heat and extreme cold in order to train the body. Why? Because that's what they needed to do now in order to achieve what they wanted most. So what about you? Let's say you're here today and you would say, the thing that I want most is I really want to get closer to God. Love this one. How do you do that? What can you do now? You can make the decision to make church and scripture and prayer a priority. You could do what Adam says, a bronze or quarter. If I'm in town, I'm at church. You would say to yourself, church is no longer an option. It's no longer one of many things that I could do on a Sunday morning. It is a priority in my life. I'm going to get there on time. I'm going to worship in song. I'm going to let that prepare my heart for the message. I'm going to come expecting to hear from God. And when I hear from God, I'm going to leave here and go minister to somebody else in my life. I'm going to start reading the Bible regularly, whatever that looks like. I'm going to start praying regularly. 
I'm going I'm to serve other people and try to get into a, a more spiritual community. What I want most in this world is to get closer to God, so this is what I have to do now in order to achieve that and gain that and to experience that. Maybe you're here and you would say, I want a great marriage. Good. What can you do now? Well, you can make the decision to start to pray together as a couple. Maybe you have to say, hey, listen, we've got to go to counseling. We need some help. Or you can decide to put a date night on the calendar each week. You could say, you know what, we're going to commit to go on one vacation a year as husband and wife, and we're going to leave the kids with, like, literally anybody that will take them. Not just gonna, we're going to get away once a year by ourselves. Paul actually gave some great advice to those of us who say, what I want most is a great marriage. He says, don't look out only for your own interests. That's a reminder that your marriage is a partnership. So if, if you, what you want is a great marriage, he would say, don't just focus on yourself. For example, Paul might say to us men, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, and I'm going to say it anyway, I don't care. He would say, guys, listen, I know you worked hard all week. I get it, all right? But so did your wife. And so when the weekend rolls around, maybe think about, I don't know, dialing the golf back a little bit, all right? This is not to say you can't enjoy the occasional round of 18, but don't look out only for your own interests. If you want a great marriage, if that's what you say you want most, then take an interest in others too. In other words, invest in your spouse. Find out what they like. Maybe get a hobby you both can enjoy. These are things that you can do now in order to experience what you want most. Let's do one more. You say what you want most is, I want to be debt free. I want financial freedom in my life. What can you do now? You can make the decision to cut up your credit cards. You can create a budget and stick to it. You could sign up for Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. You could do something that most Americans do not do. You can decide to live below your means. This is what you can do now in order to achieve and experience what you want most. Here's the problem. We hear all these things that we can do now to experience what we want most. And our undisciplined nature, wherever that lives inside of us, hears that and, and is quick to say, mm, that sounds hard. Like, yeah, I want a great marriage, but praying with my spouse sounds awkward, okay? Counseling sounds expensive. Why should I have to give up golf? Uh, yeah, I hate having debt, but a budget sounds awful. Uh, I, I, who has time to take a financial course? Man, you don't have time not to take it, all right? We want the product of discipline, but we don't want the pain of discipline. Paul says, run to win. Run to win. There's always going to be an excuse as to why you shouldn't even try. There's always going to be a distraction in this race that we're all trying to run. But the author of Hebrews says this, we must get rid of everything that slows us down. It's hearkening back to those Isthmian games once again. They would actually run naked if they didn't slow down. Okay, get rid of anything that slows you down, especially the sin that distracts us. We must run the race that lies ahead of us and never give up. Because if you give up, all right, if you throw your hands up because what you need to do now sounds like hard work, if you choose to do nothing now, and that's your prerogative, you don't have to do anything. But if you choose to do nothing now, that choice will likely become your greatest regret. Let me just say that again, okay? If you choose to do nothing now to gain what you want most, that choice will likely become 
the greatest regret of your life. And folks, the power of God lives inside every single person who, who calls Jesus Christ their Savior. That power lives inside of you so that you don't have to live with regrets. If you talk to anybody at the end of their life who is battling regrets, it will absolutely change the way that you live. So refuse to live a life of regret. Refuse to be the father who says, I would give anything to go back and have time with my kids. I was just too busy. Refuse to be the spouse who would say, if I just, you know, if I just focus less on myself, if I checked my lust at the door, I wouldn't have lost my marriage. Refuse to be the person who says, if I had just taken care of my body, I, I wouldn't be dealing with the health issues that I'm now dealing with. If I adjust, if I adjust, if I adjust. The bottom line is Jesus will empower you to choose discipline over regret. You don't have to live as you always lived. Life can be better. It can be better, different. But here's the thing. If you could have made these changes yourself, you already would have. But you can't. And that's why Paul says the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, everybody's got something different. Whatever it is that you want most. When you're finally sick and tired of being sick and tired, you've got to say, Jesus, I need you here and now. Jesus, I need your power. I need your strength. I need you to be what I cannot be for myself. I am ready to run to him. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you heard. So I would say this, today really was one long practical. If you were paying attention, you know what you're supposed to do, and you know you've got to tap into Jesus Christ in order to do it. But here's what I know about this kind of message. And I know this because I'm a human, and I know this because I've been in ministry for a while now. Here's what I know. It is very easy to do nothing with this type of message. This is exactly the type of message that you give it the old CMA, the Christian moan of affirmation. Mmm, right? Mmm, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you do absolutely nothing with what you heard. Don't do that to yourself, okay? You deserve more. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's your prayer life or your marriage. I don't know if it's a, a health concern. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's an addiction. But this is the time Okay, this is a defining moment in your life. I was praying it about all week. I, I truly believe this, that for someone here today, I believe God is knocking on your heart. And he is like, come on, it is time. It's time. You know what needs to be done. Let's do this. Let me help you. But you have a choice. Choice is yours. Y you can ignore this opportunity to change. You can choose that which is easy and you can go back to doing whatever it is you've always done. Or you can choose to embrace what's difficult. You could say, Lord, I am ready to run to win. And your life can change forever. But the choice is yours. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, when your son came to this world, he said that he came to bring us life and life to the fullest. And as your children, a lot of us 
have become comfortable with what's easy? God, and you didn't die on that cross so that we could live that kind of a life. Lord, you are touching us, convicting us that, that changes need to happen. Health-wise, with our marriages, in our spiritual life, I mean, it's different for every single person in this room, but I pray by the power of Jesus, Lord, that you would touch us and embolden us to look to you, to live a more disciplined life, to say, yes, I'm ready to win. I am in it. Everything I am doing, I am doing for you, Lord. Help me to change. Help me to live differently. Help me to live better. Empower us, God, to do that which we cannot do. And we will be quick to give you all of the glory. Thank you, God, for caring about us, for caring about every aspect of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would bring change. And we ask this in Jesus' name.